Hi everyone and welcome back to the podcast. This is Confessions of an Ex-Mormon. I'm your host, Allie. And today on the podcast, we interview Ben Brown, also known as the Fresh King Benjamin. I'll have his links down at the bottom of the show notes. Uh, ben grew up on a offshoot Mormon cult known as the Apostolic United Brethren. Today we talk a little bit about his story and I just wanted to give a disclaimer here that this could be a triggering episode for members of the church. I try to keep this place um, comfortable for both sides. I want this to be a place for healthy discussion and healing, Um, but there could be some triggering parts in here. And just a reminder that everyone's experiences are valid. Even if something wasn't your experience, it could be theirs, and they are allowed to occupy that space, and I want everyone to feel comfortable here. So without further ado, um, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, Ben. Welcome to Confessions of an Ex-Mormon. Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me to come on. Yeah, Absolutely. So why don't you just give a brief intro for everybody here so they know who you are? Uh, yeah. Hi, everybody. I My name is uh, Ben. I uh, grew up in Mormonism. I kind of grew up really deep in Mormonism. So I'm like three moms deep into Mormonism. And uh, I was part of something called the uh, Apostolic United Brethren, which is one of the many polygamist versions of Mormonism. And then I joined the LDS church for a little bit, and now I am blissfully uh, dancing around naked around fires as a heathen out here in the wicked world. Okay, fantastic. Well, you've had quite a different upbringing than I think probably most of the listeners here have. Yeah, I'm kind of interested to to sort of get into that and and talk about that because I I think that in some ways, uh, I think in some ways it was pretty different. And I think in other ways, it was basically the same thing. Like, I also grew up afraid of a God that was going to punish me and was, like, watching everything that I did. And, like, that, that, like, the most important thing was to do the right thing and then you would go to heaven. And so I think that maybe some of the details are different, but I think that the broad scope of a lot of of our journeys is going to be basically the same. Right. Um, I think so, too. So, first of all, like... I guess I want to start with what was it like on the compound and how do you think it was different or similar to mainstream Mormonism? Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually, I'm interested to to hear how maybe, maybe your childhood is maybe a little bit different or, or similar to this, but, but the kind of the daily life looked like we were on a small, like little property. Um, We called it the ranch and there were, it was like my dad's, uh, my dad's dad and his families, and then my dad and his families. And then a couple of people would kind of like cycle in and out, um, like other family members or other members of the, of the sect, um, at different points during different times. But that was kind of the world, right? As it was like, uh, we, we didn't go to, we didn't really go into town very much. We didn't go to school. Um, we, just kind of like hung out on this ranch. And in some ways it was kind of, um, cool because like I got to play outside a whole bunch. So while all of you guys were in like sitting in chairs, like being told not to move, (laughs) (laughs) I was like out, I was like out digging holes in the dirt. Right. Um, and then, uh, when we would go into town sometimes, right. So we kind of had this world that was very, um, very small, Right, very small. It, it was it was like the thirty people that we were a part of. About once a week, we would go to church in um, like another family, like another member of the sect. There were like three or four different polygamous families in, in the AUB in Wyoming where I grew up, and we'd like go to church in um, in like some dude's garage, and we'd okay. set up like these little folding chairs. And we'd use uh, hand-me-down um, hymnals from DI. So when we all upgraded to, like, the green hymnals, we got, like, the old brown and blue ones. 
okay. Yeah, so it's kind of like it's kind of like I guess polygamy is kind of like hand me down Mormonism. <laughs> like all of the stuff that the LDS Church wants to get rid of, we're we're just like we'll grab it and we'll be like, yeah, we'll keep that. So the LDS Church is like, no more polygamy, and we're like, yeah, actually, we like that. And then they're like, let's let black people have the priesthood. And we're like, actually, we'll keep the racism stuff. Ah. So I think in some ways, it, so so like we we were we were kind of like we were kind of uh, kind of similar and kind of different. I don't know how does that how does that land with like your experience in in Mormonism? Well, obviously, mainstream Mormonism, we we live fairly normally within society, right? right? Like we're not on these compounds. We have normal jobs. We live with the rest of society. Um, but you know, much more conservative manner than the rest of society. So a lot of the same rules that you and I had, they would apply. No swearing. We didn't didn't drink like caffeine. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of debatable among mainstream Mormonism. You got some families who do and some that don't. Until I was about oh, seven or eight, I think my family was no caffeine, strictly caffeine-free diet coke right. and stuff. But as I got a little older, they made the decision that caffeine was somehow. They okay. fell away from the true doctrine of the evilness <laughs> of caffeine. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I get it. That was one of, another one of the things that Mormonism, like the LDS Church, was kind of like, we're not that. And then a lot of the polygamists were like, actually, we'll never. Like, I, I didn't have a caffeinated drink. I think until I was, I think the first time I had one was uh, I had like a a Pepsi, and I was like twenty five. Oh. Well, that's the wrong one to try anyway. It should have been Mountain Dew. You know, I, I've, I've since tried several, and, and Dr. Pepper, actually, I wish would have been my first one. Pepsi, I'll be honest, Pepsi kind of tasted like gas. Yeah, it's it's not... Colas aren't great, actually. I think they're more of an acquired taste, like coffee. Oh, maybe. Okay, okay. I can... Because I can, I've always been confused by cola drinks, honestly, because, like, it, they're gross, but yeah, now great. that I imagine them as like the same thing as like wine or coffee, I get it. Because the first time that I had wine and coffee, both times I was like, this is fucking disgusting. Like, why <laughs> do humans do this? And then I realized it's because we like the grossness. Yeah, we do, don't we? It's strange. There's some yeah. desire for it. Like, it, it almost makes you cool when does. you're like, oh, I... I love black coffee. People are like, right. Oh, when you can black. finally do it. You feel kind of grown up. You're like, I can drink gross shit. You guys, I feel the same way now <laughs> yeah. that I can eat like, I don't know, like kimchi and shit. Like I can just eat like stuff that I couldn't eat as a kid. And now I'm like, Oh, I'm so, so manly now. Yeah. Brussels sprouts. Anytime I tell people <laughs> that's my favorite vegetable there. I just feel like such an adult. <laughs> oh my God. I love Brussels sprouts. Yeah, they're so good. So, but I, as a kid, oh my god, the, like it's like a tiny cabbage. That's disgusting. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Go ahead. Tell me more about like what what you think is some of the main differences between. Yeah. So, so the the hand down analogy is actually pretty good um, because essentially what what most so Mormonism I think of Mormonism as like like a big mythic tradition that was started by Joseph Smith, right? So Joseph Smith is like, he's like spouts off Mormonism, right? He's, and he writes the Book of Mormon and he starts this whole thing. And then he dies. And when he dies, um, the leader of the cult is now dead. And so people start fighting over the cult. And so I think that that's what's been happening in Mormonism for like 200 years is that different people have been fighting over who gets to be Joseph Smith's like true descendant and and have his authority right and right. so the the main difference i think is that they that the polygamous groups disagree with the lds church about who today is joseph smith's like rightful successor 
Right. So that's the most important difference. So they say, so the LDS church says, which by the way, is like one of the ways that you know that it's a cult is that only cults care that much about who has connection to the original founder, right? Like that's, that's how, that's how they, cause they, they're getting their authority from this other place. Um, and so the, uh, I grew up, you probably grew up, let's see, cause we're about, we're, you're just a, a little bit younger than me. So you probably grew up singing or like praying for, was it Gordon B. Hinckley? Was that kind of the prophet that you were like praying for? Yeah, that was like, that was my childhood. Your childhood. Prophet. Did you say like, so every night when we said prayers, did you say, did you do family prayers at night? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So every night, did you pray for to for to bless? You probably called him President Hinckley and the Quorum of the Twelve. Like how? how what, did, what was the phrase that you guys said? Uh, please bless the prophet. I guess. Um, I don't know. Maybe the apostles or the men in charge. I feel like I didn't actually pray a lot for the prophet. That would check out actually because it would also make sense if you didn't pray a lot because you're a girl. And we all know that girl prayers are not as good as boy prayers. Yeah, they're not as effective. Right. Or something like that. Right, yeah. They have to kind of go through. It's it's sad that that's the way that it is. But, you know, fortunately, we're taken care of by these big, strong, and lovely men who are definitely not doing anything bad to any of us. Oh, no. They're thinking all Purely their thoughts. Good and caring thoughts at all time. Yeah, that's why we <laughs> like the patriarchy. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, I didn't pray to for uh, President Hinckley. I prayed for a guy named Brother Owen, uh, and we would pray for Brother Owen and the priesthood council. So Brother Owen was – his name was Owen Allred, and he was – as he essentially claimed to be the rightful successor to Joseph Smith. And he had a whole line of, like, people that they kind of passed it down. Like, he'd gotten it from his brother, Rulin. Incidentally, Ruin, uh, he gets murdered by a rival polygamist prophet who takes out like a celestial hit on on him. Okay. So like super gangster shit in Mormon polygamy. Like we are, we're pretty hardcore. Like we'll, cause like we'll fuck up your prophets, right? Like we're, it matters who's in charge here. And did this guy go to jail? Yeah, he totally did. He actually died in, you can, you can Google him. His name's Ervil LeBaron. And he died in jail at the point of the mountain. Okay, because like part of my confusion here is that a lot of these cults do things that are illegal, right? Like children not going to school, people having multiple wives. Like, how does that work? How do they get away with that shit? Well, um, I think most of what happens is that they the the government in Utah has basically adopted a policy of like, and I think now it's not even illegal, but in the nineties and in the in the two um, thousands, they basically adopted a policy of we're not going to get in, we're not going to prosecute unless there's something else going. So if we have evidence of like of child abuse or anything like that, then they sometimes get involved. But it's also just a really, really insular community where they're taught to be afraid of the, of the um, authorities, right. Of the police. And so they're not so lot like they, it wouldn't occur to you as a victim to report a crime. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Right. Like, because you would, we would just handle it. Like if, like if, if someone, like if someone, if your husband assaulted you, you probably wouldn't consider that it would like, it wouldn't even pop into your head. I could get the, I could get the police involved in this because you're conditioned to okay. be so afraid of that authority that, you know, that, that those, those authority people, um, that's awful. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and that's something that's, you know, I think uh, that goes, that go that's a part of Mormon, um, of Mormonism, right? We do have, Mormons have a very longstanding, deep seated fear of, of the government, right? Like, yeah. We, Mainstream authority. All we, that. I mean, we fucking came to Utah to start our own country. Yeah, before it was even right, part of the, it was even the United States. Brigham Young was just like, "I'm going to go out into the desert and I'm going to start a I'm going to start a country called Deseret." And then uh-huh. and he fucking tried to right, like he sent people all over the place. So, yeah, so I prayed for Brother Owen as a as a kid, and uh, that's who we kind of thought. So that's kind of the core difference, right? And then because of that, there are all these other. Um, 
there are all these other kind of little differences, right? So the way that the the way that Owen, right, the way that leaders of kind of these splinter groups, um, with the way that they kind of uh, add credence or credibility to their authority is that they'll try to make their organizations as c- closely in line with the original thing that Joseph S- Smith made by going back to like old scriptures, old journals, the, the journal of discourse, like going back to a lot of what was said back in the day to try to make what's happening now as, as most like that as possible. Right. So the biggest sure. member, the biggest kind of splinter sect is called the fundamentalist church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's the FLDS church. Right. That's the Warren Jeffs group. And that's what that's referring to, right? Is they're saying, we're going to go back to the fundamentals of Mormonism and we're going to do, we're going to do as much of that as possible. Right. That's the only one I really ever knew about growing up. I've always just kind of thought that that was the one splinter group. I didn't realize that there were, yeah, by some by some like by some estimates, there are over four hundred distinct groups Whoa. within Mormonism, right? I was thinking like twelve. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, and to to be clear, right? A number of those, like probably, I, I don't the 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 way that I sort of my instinct is to say like around seventy five percent of those groups are smaller than like twenty five people. Okay, right, some of them but... might just be one family. Oh, because okay. because right, like because Mormonism, because of the way that Mormonism works, right, it has to have one authority figure, and so and it's also this prophetic thing that you like. I don't know if you knew this or not, but I've actually declared myself a Mormon prophet. Oh, so really? I too am a prophet. And the great news, <laughs> the thing about it is, you can't like nobody can ch- check that shit, right? Right. So most of these groups are like one dude who's like, I think I might be the next prophet. And then he goes off with his family and like tries to be the next prophet. Right. Right. Um, And that happens all the time. Cause there's, because of the way that the way that Mormonism is kind of structured, it, it turns people into, I mean, it's a cult that was started by a narcissist. Right. So it kind of turns people either into narcissistic abusers who are the ones that are in charge and then are, abusing people or into um, enablers, into caretakers, right? People who will actually take care of that myth and take care of that thing so that it it can continue. So I think that they've also sort of set themselves up for this by, by giving the idea of personal revelation, right? right? Really? That's a core concept of Mormonism. Yeah that you can receive revelation for yourself and for your family. And then whoops, all of a sudden I'm receiving it for my neighbor and for right. everyone else around right. me. All of a sudden I'm, I'm like God's chosen one. Right. And I, I think that, I think that in like, in some ways I kind of like the belief that of this idea that everyone can talk to God, right? Like whatever God is, I think that everyone can talk to that thing. Right. I kind of like that belief. I think that the belief that gets really fucked up in Mormonism is this idea that that God might be talking to one of us in a way that makes that person the one. Right. Right. And that's what Joseph Smith, like Joseph Smith, actually, when he first starts, the early church is very different from the, even the the slightly later church of Joseph Smith, because early on, he's like giving out. It's suspected. There's no, there's this actually a big discussion in Mormonism now, but he's probably handing out like psychedelic drinks to people. <sighs> They're all having these amazing spiritual experiences. And, uh, and there's this idea that kind of everyone can go talk to God, right? Everyone can get revelation. And then <laughs> some people start talking for God. And Joseph is like, actually, actually only I can do that. Okay. Right. Interesting. And then he, he then he kind of shuts off this this revel this speaking for God from other people, and he says, "No, I'm the only one." And when you when you assume the mantle of "I'm the only one," right? Then, like, I think that I think that it's pretty cool to be able to to say to kind of feel into what feels true to yourself, and to say, "I think that this is what God would want me to do," right? 
making God kind of like the best possible imagined thing that you could, you could imagine, right? I'm going to, I'm going to live that way. But I also have some pretty crazy thoughts sometimes. And if there was a thing inside of my head that said, Hey, sometimes that crazy, that crazy voice in your head is actually God. I could do, I could potentially do some pretty fucked up things. Right. Right. Because there's something about like, there's just something about the human mind that if you tell it, Hey, God, you're special to God and God is speaking through you. That that can kind of, I mean, that's a, that's a bit of an ego trip. <laughs> yeah. It's dangerous on a lot of levels. Yeah. They're not just like dangerous. Um, not just dangerous uh, because it's like, because of what you might do to other people. But I think psychologically to yourself, it's dangerous because I think that in some ways, mental health is just like, the, the ongoing practice of sort of grooming or pruning your brain garden, right? Of like taking care of your, like you're, you're doing the stuff, you're weeding out bad thoughts, you're like you're doing all this stuff. And if, and if you're doing that, but then you're told, but then you're, something comes in and says, hey, actually, um, those dark thoughts are Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Right? That, becomes, oh, that gets a little bit nasty. And then suddenly it goes you have a foggy idea of what's the difference between good and bad. You can't figure that out anymore because there's no line anymore. Everything is suddenly becomes good because you're God's chosen because one. Because you're God's chosen one. Yeah. And that's, that's dangerous, right? Like I, I don't think that, I don't think that people should get the, the power to, to, to decide like that everything that they do is good. Right. No, like, because nobody is nobody's nobody's perfect. perfect, Right. Like you're you're at some point in your life, you're going to do some shitty things to people. And if you know that and you're okay with it, you're just like, that's part of the human condition. Then you listen to people. And then when they come to you and you're like, Hey, you were being shitty. Then you're like, Oh, I'm sorry. Or even better, you just notice people. And then you see yourself do a shitty thing and you're like, Oh fuck. You know, And that makes me think like one of the biggest problems I think that ex-Mormons have is that the church is not willing to admit that it is made up of humans or that the quote unquote prophets are humans that, you know, they'll do things like, uh, like maybe the blacks not having priesthoods for priesthood for so long and now they can rather than admitting this was due to racism They like to say that it was God's plan because who knows what would have happened if we'd given blacks the priesthood too early. Right. We would have been run out of town. Crazy with the priesthood. Like, well, oh my God, what could they have done with it? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's so part of the problem here is that it's claiming to be a perfect entity, but there is no perfect entity when it's run by humans. Right. And then you end up in situations where you know, um, the, the, the church does things like, uh, create 12 LLCs to, and put money that they, cause they were getting so much money from tithing and that they were shoveling it all into these like 12 little companies that they made to hide it. And then they got, get fined by the SEC. Yeah. Right? Like, because, it, cause they were just like, in their heads are like, this is God's money. This is God's money and we have to we have to keep it as much of God's money away from the government as possible. So of course we're going to do things that are that are illegal. <laughs> that are in violation of yeah. of law because we're above law. And so now we're going to go yeah. do that, right? And um and I, I agree like that is the thing that kind of tilted me from someone who is just like oh this isn't a religion that I want to be a part of. I'm going to go live my life to someone who's like, this is an institution that is harmful and needs to be held accountable is the way that they respond to the real harm that they cause without any kind of human empathy or compassion or like, cause here's the thing. I get it. We fuck up. God, man, like I've fucked up in my life. I've done things that afterwards I'm like, oh, 
oh, shit. I, I wish I hadn't done that. Mm. And you know what I do is I learn from that. I write it with the people that I need to write it with. And then I do better, right? And I, 100%. I think that you can't do better if you don't admit that you were wrong. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the number one thing they talk about in addiction recovery, things like right. that. Admitting the problem is the first step. Right. That's also like the first step of an apology when that you learn in kindergarten, right? Like yeah. you can't, you have to be like, I was wrong. And yeah. just the ability, and it's like, here's the cool thing too, right? Is that once you learn, it's almost like a magic trick. Once you learn that you can just say I was wrong, the whole world opens up to you because you can start doing as you can just start trying shit and doing things and like being yeah. yourself. And if you may mess up, you're just like, Ooh, sorry, I was wrong. And then you get to move on. And so in some ways they're stuck, right? They're so stuck. And imagine being stuck in like a straitjacket of like the last 150 years. Yeah. Like you have to line everything no up that. for the last, rather than just being able, like now, God, now I feel sorry for Dallin H. Oaks. <laughs> no wonder he looked. Because, like, can you imagine how, oh, like, I've got to be in line with everything that I've ever said and done. God. There's no way. How could you come back from that? Everything that I ever said was right. Right. And not only that, imagine, imagine then having to say not only everything that I said was right, but everything that the three, like the 15 dudes before me (laughs) Impossible. Like that's impossible to do. That's impossible to do. Well, I had another question for you, Ben. Um, I wanted to ask you what, what are your beliefs now? Do you have any kind of beliefs, any belief system right now? Um, so my belief system right now is something I would call, um, uh, playful animism. And what I mean by that is that so I, the, the whole journey that I went on when I left the LDS church, when I, when I realized the LDS church was bullshit, um, that, that was pretty scary because it felt like the, it felt like the sky like cracked open and I did. Yeah. It's like, awful. It's your horrifying, life. right? Like everything that I've, the, the entire like structure of reality that I've used to make decisions and choices in my life is bullshit. And it's not only that, it's like dangerous, toxic bullshit. (laughs) So I was like, I know the feeling like, what? (laughs) So, um, I went on, uh, I went on a really intentional journey where I, where I thought, okay, I don't know. I know that I, I know that I can be really, really wrong about something. So I'm going to, for the rest of my life, I'm going to live I'm going to live by a value of like humility where I can just I know that this person this vessel has the ability to be profoundly wrong about things. Mm. So I feel like I had the same the same aha moment. Yeah. Like when you come to realize that you don't believe this anymore and you suddenly realize how much you don't know. How much know. you don't know. Yeah. How much, how much that, and that's, was part of it too, right? Is that, that fear of like, oh my God, what's going on in the world that sort of sharpened into, Hey, there's a lot that you don't know. A lot that you don't know factually. Like I believe that the world, the, that the earth was 6,000 years old. Yeah. Literally like I, I believe that ago, too. Right. Eight years ago, I was like, oh. It's probably not 6,000 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? And so um, so what I did, so, so that was kind of my, the first sort of experience, right? It's kind of the sense of like, whoa, I really don't know. Um, and so I just started um, learning. And I, so I thought, well, I don't know. So what I want to learn is I want to learn about the things that I was told were, were the most bad. Right. So, um, or whatever, whatever it was within that worldview, whatever they told me not to look at, I wanted to go look. So Mormonism, don't look at science. 
So I was like, I'm definitely going to go look at science. <laughs> and that was kind of the, the first place that I looked. And I, um, I got on, I found this, uh, this really cool um, organization. It's called uh, The Great Courses. And they do this. Have you heard of The Great Courses? I have, oh yes. Gosh, they're so cool. So they have, they have, um, they go around, they find the best college professors in America. And then they ask them to make a course, a lecture series on something that they are interested in. And um, it's magic, right? So they have literally like hundreds of hours, probably thousands of hours of these lectures. And you can like get them on Audible and shit. And so I just downloaded a whole bunch. It's this is a paid ad, yeah, everybody. Totally. So uh, make sure you get a an affiliate link for that, so that when people go <laughs> to there, you get paid for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I went there and I I just downloaded. Uh, I mean, I, I downloaded literally every course that I uh, could find about science. I I was taking stuff like I mean, it was like chemistry, physics, biology, astronomy. Um, I, I got really into like um, particle physics for a while because I wanted to understand the nature of things. Um, I got, wow. I, I, I learned, I, at the same time I was taking a lot of courses um, from other, they have like a whole bunch of religion courses. So they have like Buddhism and Confucianism and um, all these courses about the New Testament and all these courses about the Old Testament, but it's it's studying it from a, like it's studying theology and religion from an academic point of view rather than a, rather than like a like a this is a true view so it was just a it was a way to sort of look at a lot of the i mean because you know you grow up mormon you have so much mormon bullshit in your brain like i mm. still know the books of the book of mormon i can still tell you the most important stories in that book Right. I don't love that, but it's in my brain. And so I'm like, well, maybe I can, maybe there's a way to, to think about these things differently. Right. Maybe it's, maybe it's bigger than Mormonism. Um, so I did that for, uh, I don't know, years probably. And it was, uh, it was really enlightening. Like I got a, a really cool sense of how the world works where we are, like what's happening. The, so the, the moment I feel, one of the things I felt when I, when the world kind of cracked open and Mormonism was fake is I felt really disoriented. Mm. Like I was like, okay, what's up? Where's forward? What, how do I even move in this environment? Right. And so um, all the, all the courses that I took, it, it felt like it sort of oriented me in in space and time and in, in kind of mythic time, sort of where we are at, in a, in a, as a species, what's going on the, and kind of what's true about life. Like I, I felt like I sort of grounded in that. And I was like, okay, this is what's real. And, um, and then I started to feel this sense of um, almost maybe sterility is like the right way to put it. Like the world felt very um, empty, like a lab room. Okay. You know? And I sort of missed the flavor. The feeling of like meaning. Yeah. Meaning in everything that happens. Yeah. I understand. You know, like, and not just like a big meaning, but, but like a, a momentary meaning, right? Like finding... I don't know, like finding significance in, uh, in seeing a bird, right. Yeah. Or, or seeing a number, right. And then like seeing, like just seeing basically I, what I found that I missed is living in a world where I felt like I existed in connection with everything else and that the everything else was talking to me. Mm, right. Yeah. I've had the same experience. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, for, for all of its harm, the, the Mormon world, it, it, it really grounds you. It sort of holds you in this way that, that makes you feel really safe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you part of this, not just community, but it almost makes you feel at one with the universe. Right. 
Right. Like, cause, cause Mormonism has like, some people call it start like sci-fi Christianity, which it really is. Cause it, it encompasses like all of like, it begins with God's eternal plan. Right. Right. Which is pretty cool. Right. It's kind of nice. It's nice to feel like there's a plan and that your life is, is kind of in line with it. Um, and then I, then all of this is sort of happening. So I've got kind of this, I've got all of this, you know, the scientific learning that's going on in my brain. I've got all this kind of religious learning that's going on in my brain. And I'm feeling this sensation of wishing that there were, I could be part of something that was bigger than me. Um, and at the same time, I'm also doing like tons of uh, therapy, right? So I'm like, I'm seeing a therapist, I'm doing trauma work. I'm, I'm learning how to kind of come back in and feel my body. Um, and so all of this is kind of happening. Um, and I read, uh, at, at the same time and I come across this book, um, called, uh, Sapiens by a guy named Yuval Noah Harari. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, yes, I've heard of the book. Okay. You should, te- you should definitely read it, um, or read a summary of it. I don't know. Like you probably don't need to read the whole thing, but it's, it's really, really cool because what he does, he's a historian from Israel. And he looks at the long view of human history. So uh, I learned this uh, more recently than I should have, that the humans have actually been around for about 250,000 years. Okay. Not 6,000 years, right? For a minute, right? Just imagine 250,000 years. Right? I can't. long time that's a ton of humans right so many so many humans and he asks the question okay uh in those in those two hundred fifty thousand years there were other hominid species right there were other there were neanderthals which are not sapiens homo neanderthal i think it's neanderthalus or thalus i don't ever know there's another one uh i think it's denisovians Homo Denisovian. Homo erectus. Homo erectus is one, right? So there's all of these other hominids that are kind of evolving out of, uh, you know, the the things that came before, kind of emerging on the the world stage. And Homo sapiens, our species, we are not the strongest. We're not the smartest. We're kind of... We're, we're, really? we're, yeah, we're not, our brains are actually smaller than other, um, than other hominids. Interesting. So the question has always been, why are there only sapiens now? Right. Why did we win the evolution competition? Yeah. And people have kind of proposed different hypotheses, right? One of the really popular ones that people like to throw around is that, uh, we were more violent. Okay. We, I mean, that would make We sense. invented violence and then we killed the rest of them, right? Um, which is a possibility and definitely speaks to, you know, something that is part of human nature for sure. Uh, Harari, though, he proposes something a little bit deeper. And he says that it's not, it's not violence. It's not, um, it's not strength. It's not clever, cleverness. It's not, the best tools. We didn't have the best tools. What it is, is it's sapiens ability to cooperate. Okay. Sapiens is, are actually really re- like, if you think just for a minute about the level of cooperation that's necessary for what you and I doing right now to be happening. Yeah. Time, like technology, we have to, get along. Right. Well, and even, even just like the, the, like when you say something, I don't even know how this is actually working. Right. But it either goes through, it goes up through a, a wire across the world to yeah. my house. Right. That's a ton of cooperation. And so, uh, that's really difficult to do. And so he asks the question, how are sapiens able to cooperate so well? And what he says is that it's because of our ability to tell uh, fictions, to tell myths, 
to invent things that aren't true, aren't real, and then treat them like they are real. So if you think about something like money, Mm-hmm. It's not a real, it's not a real object. It's not a real object. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's an idea that we had. We had an idea and the same thing like law, uh, human rights, human rights are an idea that we had, right? You can't go out of nature and like dissect a human right. And so, uh, he says that there's something about the way that humans cooperate uh, where, so like what he says is like, um, we talk all the time about what, uh, what built the pyramids and what he's actually really simple. It's the myth that pharaohs were gods. Okay. Because if a bunch of humans believe that pharaoh's God, they're going to do whatever you say. We're going to build them a fucking pyramid, <laughs> you know? Right. And, uh. And we're actually probably going to have a good time doing it because it actually feels good to do things for God. Um, so I read this book and I'm like, oh, what if my brain is just wired for belief? Right. Uh, no, you know what? That's another thought that I've had as well. Like, to me, the idea of religion or faith in general is... Well, it's really just a human construct. It's a human's way of trying to figure out what's around them, trying to make sense of the world. Right, totally, totally. And and um, what if we're wired? Like, think about the context in which the human mind evolved, right? We were living in small tribes of between 30 and 50 people. So imagine a human mind is born into that world and he comes out, Right. What is going on in that world? What, what is programming that mind? And part of it is a, is a, really, uh, a really cool way of, of seeing the world that's called animism. So animism is what most early hunter-gatherers were. And it's simply the idea that um, everything has a spirit. Okay. Right? It's, it's, Why am I thinking Pocahontas, of Pocahontas right now? Right? It actually is. <laughs> it's, like, it's Pocahontas. It's Avatar. Um, it's this idea that uh, everything, not just humans, but everything has spirit. Trees have spirits and rocks have spirits and animals have spirits. And there are also spirits that are bigger, right? The sky would have a spirit. Earth would have a Okay, spirit, yeah. Right? We would be part. So you feel like... You feel like you fall more into that idea. Yeah. And well, what, what I, what I kind of line up, what I feel is that human minds are designed to live in belief, right? So, um, I've decided that I'm going to live a life in belief. I just get to pick the beliefs that I have. I love that. That feels healthy. It, it does. And it, what's fun about it right now is that um, we live in a time when literally uh, we have access to hundreds of thousands of years of experimental beliefs from all over the world. Right. And so you can be, you can be like, I would like this part of Christianity and I would like this part of Buddhism and I would like this part of whatever floats your boat, right? Like whatever, whatever. And some people will hear that and be like, morality isn't relative, blah, blah, blah. Fuck those guys. I don't care. Because actually what I think is it's not about doing whatever you want. It's about always attempting your highest good. I love that. Right? And so if I imagine, right, if I imagine what's the, what's the, if I am, if I were to imagine a God, what would that God be like? And then live in a way that tries to emulate that. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And it's just a belief. But it's also a belief that actually has, has a lot of power. Right? Because our entire lives are the products of the beliefs that we have. Absolutely. We make choices because of the beliefs that we have. And so... 
Yeah. So I, I think now, now what I believe in is in the power of belief. And that that's a human thing, right? That that's actually a human, that I feel belief in my body. I feel worship in my body. Um, I'll go to one of my favorite stories to tell is that I, I went to like a kind of like an EDM uh, house party where there was this really great um, uh, singer. Her name's Sarah Solstice. She's like this, she's this EDM singer. She takes like Christian worship and she ties it. She like turns it into EDM and then she performs it at like festivals. Oh, that's cool. They had gotten her to come do a house party. So it was wow. like, she was like up on, it was like this really nice house. Like she was up on this balcony, like singing. And then we were all down like dancing and just enjoying it. And at one point she sings this song. I can't even remember the lyrics to the song. I don't, I don't remember exactly what was said, but I felt like in my whole body, I felt worship. Like I felt awe and I thought, oh, this is the thing that, um, that Mormonism told me it was. And it's not. Mormonism is not that thing. That thing was mine. That was my thing. And I felt it in my body and I was like, oh my God. And because um, that's what it was, right? It was God. And it wasn't her, right? It was whatever was coming through her. And so I, I okay. fell onto my knees and I cried and I worshiped and it felt, it felt awesome. And I realized that, um, you know, going back to this 250,000 years thing, humans have been worshiping for so much longer than Mormonism has been a thing. Of course. And Christianity. And Christianity. And all of the religions that are practiced today, right? Which is not me throwing shade at religion. I'm just, I just want you to know where you are in the journey, right? For hundreds of thousands of years, humans have walked this planet and have worshiped and have believed and have communed with the spirits that are around us. And religion tried to take that and weaponize it and use it to enslave people. And that's not what it's for. Yeah. No. So um, before we end here, I wanted to go over like a couple things because you're obviously integrating really well, doing a lot of work for yourself. And um, <clears throat> now for my listeners, for you to know, he's a very successful comedian uh -huh. at the moment. <laughs> he's got what 80,000 followers on TikTok? 80,000 followers on TikTok. Um, the thing I'm the most proud of is I, I did my first uh, headlining gig about six weeks ago and I sold it out. Uh, it was fantastic. I watched it online. Yeah. Uh, great job. Everybody go watch it. Um, I'll link it in yeah, the show be, notes. Yeah, if you like. And I, I, I'll just say too for the, the listeners, I'm way funnier. Uh, in stand-up than I am. I was, I felt like I was pretty serious in this podcast. I'm way funnier in the, in the show. So you should definitely watch it. Yes, he is. He's very funny. Um, but it sounds like a few things you've done, uh, to help yourself through this crisis after your, well, your faith crisis was a lot of studying of religion from a secular point of view, mm -hmm. um, study of science, yeah, reading and therapy, what what else would you recommend for other people going through something similar? Yeah, I, I love that question. So um, I think what I'd like to maybe offer is a kind of a framework, like a way to sort of think about the journey that you're on. Because um, I think that when you're, on, when you're in it, it can feel just overwhelming and daunting. Um, and lonely. and lonely. Yeah. Like all, all of those, all of those things. So, uh, I think I like to think of the journey that you're on as, uh, a bit of a death and resurrection story to kind of, uh, grab, like, imagine that you're Jesus because you actually are <laughs> the story is about you. Um, when you 
realize that moment when you realized, oh, Mormonism is not what I thought. That was the beginning of your death. Hmm. Because this thing that you had, this identity that you created for yourself um, to live in this world, you've now realized it's not going to work anymore because that world was a lie. And so that's a death experience. And so be really um, tender towards yourself during the death process and recognize that the death process can take a long time. Like think about the experience that Jesus had when he died that was long and painful and it dragged out for quite a bit. That's what this death is going to feel like on the inside. And, and I think it's okay to recognize that it's okay to mourn. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's, you can be it sad. Can be, it's heartbreaking, right? <laughs> like one of the things that, um, just to kind of get, get, get personal and sort of show how tragic it can really be is that like for me, one of the things that I ultimately had to mourn as dead is that there were certain relationships that I had with people that were really important, that were really dominant relationships in my life that had to change because I could no yeah. longer relate to them in the same way because I wasn't the same person. And I think that that's true for most people who leave yeah. Mormonism and other religions and that part's... That might be it's the hardest really part. Hard. And that's not like that can be parents, that can be siblings, that can be spouses, that can be friends. Um, it's a really, I mean, you're stepping out of their world. You really are. You've died. You've died. And uh, they're kind of going through a mourning process too. If they didn't die, right? And if they did, <laughs> then they're mourning along, yeah. along with you. So like be be like so gentle and and kind to yourself and give yourself the space to mourn and and treat it like mourning like you're going through a grieving period. Um then you will move into like what happens to Jesus after he dies? He gets buried. Right? He gets buried and in our version of the myth he goes to the spirit he goes to spirit prison and preaches the gospel. Um, that's not what you're going to do, right? You're going to the underworld. Yeah. And the underworld is your own personal version of uh, not hell, but but like the what's beneath, right? So you've got to kind of go inside and you've got to start to sort all of the shit that's inside of you and get on it because... Um, if you grew up in Mormonism, I'm going to say there's a 50% chance that you were abused in some way, physically, mm. emotionally, sexually, mentally, some form of abuse probably happened to you. And that 50% numbers, because I'm feeling incredibly generous today, <laughs> it's probably much higher than that. So uh, you've got to come to terms with that. Right. Like for me, I had to really come to terms with the fact that I had been labor trafficked for 10 years and the the trauma that that kind of left imprinted on my body. I had to deal with that shit. And uh, so you have to, too. So uh, in in this phase, what I would suggest is uh, go all the way and get help and support. Like you are going to go in and like, here's, here's the honest truth. Fucking everyone has to do therapy at some point or they don't make it. So this isn't something that's unique to you. Everybody's got to do it while you're doing it. Do it all right. Really surrender to this experience and, and, and talk about like, go through all the shit. Talk about your parents. Talk about your spouse, get like, get all that shit up and out and start to look at it. And it's going to be super messy when you do that. So do it with a professional. And I want to just really emphasize that professionals are not bishops. Professionals are not mm -hmm. um, people that you met at a 
uh, cool um, dinner party. They are not people who host uh, drug orgies in their living rooms. Yeah. Like professionals are people who have licenses and the training to help you get the support and the help that you need. So find a professional. You might have to find a couple of them, right? So you have to kind of cycle through. So you might find one and it doesn't, doesn't work. Keep like, keep go, uh, go, you know, therapist dating and try to hop around and find find Mm. people. Um, and do your work, right? Really start to understand what's, because here's the truth. Um, you've got some fucked up mental matter, mental patterns because of Mormonism. You just do. So go fix them. And then uh, after three days in the tomb, which I don't know how long that's going to be for, for you. I'm still kind of, I feel like I just left it like maybe six months ago. And, um, and I was in it for like three or four years. So it's a, it's a big, like, give yourself time. You'll be there for a while. Um, when you come out of it though, you get to be resurrected and that means you get to be reborn. And the lovely thing about it is that now you get to come into this world as you, which is what you wanted to do the whole time. You just didn't know who you were because you got told who you were because of Mormonism. Mormonism comes in and says, Hey, don't even worry about th- what who you might be. We already know, and we're going to tell you. And anything that you do that doesn't measure up to what we're about to tell you about who you are means that you are bad and weak, and don't do that. That's all gone now. So now you get to just be you. And the great news about that is that all of us out here are really, really excited to meet you because we think that you're amazing. We're so excited that you get to be you and you get to come and be you out here with the rest of us. And it's going to be so much fun. So pay attention through this whole process to the parts of the world and the parts of yourself that really turn you on, that are really delightful to you, that you are in, that you just feel like a natural energy towards. Because there are things out here that you love, that you like, that you love like so much. The way that you were told that told that you should love um, Jesus and the church. Absolutely, I love that. You know, something I've been trying to implement recently, because you know that. M- the whole moral system is gone. I still have morals, but they don't follow the church anymore or like a structured pattern. So something I've been trying to implement lately is this idea of how does something make me feel before, during, Mm. and after the process. And that is anything from a person I'm with to a food that I eat to an activity that I do. And it's not always going to be the same. Like, there's a lot of times I don't want to go to the gym, (laughs) but it's miserable during, but I always feel good after. So when, when you're in this healing process and when you come out of it in the resurrection phase, as it were, you know, pay attention to that because your whole system of like thinking and morals is going to be flipped. But part of what makes that so wonderful and so healthy is that you can now decide what is right for you based on just the feelings inside that you have pay attention to how something makes you feel. And what's so fun about that is that like the, I think when you leave Mormonism, you, you get actually pretty, I've heard so many people ask this, like, how will I know what's right and wrong? And the beautiful answer is, is it's, you don't even have to think about it because your body knows Your body already knows. And so like, as you step out and you just sort of listen, like pay attention to what feels good, what feels good is good. And so like, that's, that's the most, it's the most magical thing. Like that's the world that we live in. We live in a world where what feels good is good. And the, the nice thing about that too, is that if you, um, if you do something that feels bad, you're not bad that thing just felt bad. So don't do it again. Yeah. Right. And it's literally that easy. So you don't have to be like, 
oh my gosh, I felt like I, I did this bad thing and I have to be so like, you don't have to beat yourself up because you'll just be like, oh, <laughs> I'm not going to do that again. It didn't feel good. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, like your kid again, you're relearning yeah. the world. And it's Matt. It's awesome. It's, it's cool. Like you get to do cool things and like try things for the first time and like try coffee when you're 25. Um, <laughs> Everyone go follow him. Uh, another plug there. You get to go see him do things that he's never done before yeah. on his TikTok, on TikTok and it's really fun. fun. Well, Ben, you've been fantastic. Um, I think we're going to be just about an hour here, so we, that's perfect. Oh, we crushed it. Thanks for having me on. It was, fun to, it was fun to chat with you. Yeah, this is great. And I'm really excited to uh, publish this, see what everybody thinks. Um, you've been great. I'll plug you down at the bottom in the show notes, but everybody, he's the Fresh King Benjamin. You can find him on pretty much all social media. Yep, YouTube, uh, Instagram, and TikTok. Fantastic. Okay, thanks, Ben. I can't wait to talk to you again soon, and have a good night. Awesome. Thanks, Allie. Bye-bye.